This is episode 62 of the Landscape Photography Show, and on this episode of the podcast, we're talking with photographer Joseph Rossback. Now, this year, 2020, the whole pandemic part of the year has really derailed a lot of people's plans. It's had devastating effects on personal lives, not only that, the economy in which we live, and a lot of sole proprietors or entrepreneurs and photographers have really been impacted by the whole pandemic. Joseph and I talk about that during this episode, both the negatives of that and how it's affected a lot of our workshops as landscape photographers, but we also discuss maybe some of the positive sides of it, where we are starting to now explore more areas that are less discovered and rediscovering our love for photography and love for scouting new locations. The Landscape Photography Show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography. It's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, guys? We're here with Joseph Rossback. And and Joseph, I think... When I first started trying to get you on the podcast, it was from my old podcast, and I think this is like a uh, 10-year process in the making to actually (laughs) sit down and actually, like, I think it took a global pandemic for us to have this episode. It's true. I kind of remember you reaching out to me years ago now that I think about it, and I think it has taken a global pandemic because I actually am, like, not traveling right now, which... It's always been so hard for me to fit some of these things in because I feel like I'm always on the road, you know what I mean? And then when I'm back, I'm like, oh, I got so much like work to catch up on. I got to do family time. And then I'm back on the road again, like two weeks later. So um, it's kind of been, I mean, like the pandemic is awful and terrible, um, but I've kind of also enjoyed like having some more time uh, to like actually focus on, you know, doing some new projects and talking to people and just taking it easy so i'm glad you had me on again man thanks yeah that's i wanted to ask you has it been freeing to you to have this time not only at home but but kind of away from workshops a little bit um and just go do some shooting on your own yeah absolutely i mean it's it's been sort of a double-edged sword obviously i mean i took at the beginning of the pandemic, when it just sort of like came as a big surprise to everyone, I was like, oh my God, what's happening? And then everything was shutting down, you know, like I ended up just making, a, you know, the call to cancel pretty much all the workshops. Uh, I did do some workshops this fall um, with my, um, with the Kurt Budliger, who I, I've been working with for pretty long time. Um, but, you know, we, they were pretty small venues and we had like a bunch of COVID um, regulations that we put in. So, um, it was nice. It was scary at first. Cause I was like, you know, a, a big portion of my income has always come from education and doing workshops and tours in particular. So, you know, I was kind of freaking out last February, March, like, Oh my God, like, am I going to have to get a job at home Depot? Like running the register? <laughs> <laughs> like what's, what's going to happen. But, you know, actually it's been sort of like, a good thing in a way for me because it allowed me to um, sort of work on some stuff that I've been meaning to do for a long time that I just kind of 
put on the back burner because I was so busy with workshops, like getting like online education going and, and doing webinars, which web, the webinars have been really um, pretty, pretty big for me. And I've, I've actually, um, you know, I'll get in like anywhere from like 75 to a hundred people on every webinar that I do. Um, so I've, I've been able to like make up a lot of the lost income that I had with workshops with doing, um, this sort of like online education, which has been really pretty fun. And, you know, it just gave me a chance to like kind of redesign my studio and get it set up for video and audio stuff, which once again was like another thing that I had been meaning to do for a long time, but I just kept pushing it on the back burner. Um, so yeah, in a way it's been sort of freeing. And then I was able to go out and do a lot of, uh, shooting, um, on my own this year, you know, I just kind of like kept it safe and I would camp and like really not stay in hotels or go to restaurants or anything like that. So I felt like it was pretty like safe alternative to, um, to kind of get out and, and do some new shooting and, and uh, work on that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's, it was scary at first, but everything's kind of like worked itself out and, um, here we are in winter again, and it looks like things are starting to, to shut down again. Um, so just buckling down and going to work on some projects uh, through the winter and see how things go. I think the real question is, would Home Depot hire you? Most likely not. Yeah. After the background check? Uh, the background check. I mean, I'd have to probably use like a false like social security number to get through that, you know, at this point. No, I mean, like I've always made this joke, like I've been doing this for a pretty long time now. Like I got out of high school and I, um, I jumped right into doing photography full time. And, you know, in one, one aspect or another, I've been doing photography full time since basically I was 18 years old. I'm, you know, in my mid forties now. So like, I have like literally no other experience. <laughs> so like, I'm not sure what I'd even put down on an application at this point to get a job somewhere else. So like, you know, if this doesn't work out, I'm probably screwed. <laughs> you didn't have any like high school jobs or anything before photography? So in high school, I had a couple jobs. Yeah, I worked um, for a landscaping firm. Uh, yes. <laughs> yep. That was, you know, like every high school boy's like job working at like, the local <laughs> landscaping company. And then <laughs> at the tail end of my high school experience, I actually worked for Ritz Camera, which is long out of business. Mm -hmm. but I worked there in their, their photo lab, um, for a couple of years. And then as soon as I got out of high school, I think I worked there like the first, I don't know, six or eight months out of high school. And then I got, um, I got an, uh, an opportunity to, um, to work for free for this wedding photographer out of DC. His name was Monty Zucker, who he was kind of like a legendary wedding photographer back in like the, the eighties and nineties. Uh, he pa he's passed away now, but um, I worked for him for for a summer and kind of learned, you know, some of the ropes with uh, doing like weddings and portrait photography and kind of just like just learning how to like show up on a job and get things done and like you know. Uh, then after that, I got jobs doing like I started doing like weddings on my own, and then before I know it, I was uh, working as a full time sports photographer in like the Maryland, Virginia, DC area. Um, I did that with a little photojournalism for about um, 10 years until I broke out into doing the nature landscape gig full time when I was 28. So 
I mean, I've been doing this full time now for, let's see, uh, 16 or 17 years, I guess. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. What is it like going from high school straight into photography and kind of doing your own thing instead of going the college route? Because I feel like culture in the United States is just automatic high school to college. There's no yeah. questions asked. Um, did you get pushback on that at all? Um, not a lot. I got a little bit of pushback on that, but I, I mean, like I was never a great student. Um, I had a lot of like learning disabilities when I was younger. Um, so like going from high school to college wasn't actually like for me going to be the most like fluid transition, I think. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think the only pushback I got from my, my folks at the time was my dad was like sort of like one of these like company men, you know what I mean? He's a big corporate guy. Mm -hmm. He always worked in, you know, he'd work for the same corporation for like pretty much the majority of his adult life. And he was just like under the, you know, uh, he, he just thought basically like, you know, you, you need to get a job with like a company or a corporation. That's how you're going to get like your benefits and your like your retirement package. So, you know, he pushed back on me wanting to do this sort of like freelance sort of stuff, you know, photography. But you know, I just kind of ignored him. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, to a certain extent, like I took what he had to say with a grain of salt, because like, I kind of, I always had a love, for, I had a love for photography when I, when I first got into it in high school, you know, I took a couple um, art electives um, with black and white and darkroom photography. And I was like, man, this is awesome. I love doing this. And I kind of knew at a pretty, you know, pretty young age, I guess that, it was something that I, I was really, really into. I really thought like maybe it's something I wanted to do as a career. And I liked the creativity behind it. And I also liked the fact that um, I could kind of do it my own way. You know what I mean? Which I just, that's just how I operate. You know, I like to do things on my own. I don't, I've never really liked working for someone else and having to show up at a, you know, nine to five sort of schedule. It's just too much routine for me. Uh, so it, it would just sort of was a natural fit, you know, and uh, I just went with it basically. But yeah, I mean, I looking back on things now in retrospect, middle-aged guy, I kind of wish I would have went to college for at least a couple of years to study a few things like outside of photography, like marketing or maybe even get like, you know, a small business degree because that stuff definitely would have come in handy um, with doing this uh, as a living and running my own business. Uh, you know, I basically just had to learn all that stuff as I, as I went along. And I think that, you know, but I mean, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? So, I mean, I don't regret any, 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 any of the decisions that I made and I'm in a pretty good place at this point in my life. So it all worked out. I will say as somebody who did go to college for four years, um, got a degree in geography of all things, obviously I'm not using that degree at all. Um, <laughs> I did try to get like a secondary degree in small business and after statistics and analytics, I like failed both of those courses and I was just like, this thing is, is not for me. I'll never have my own small business and lo and behold, here you I have am. your own small business. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny how these things work out. <laughs> it really is. Going back though, Joe, like put yourself 
in in those shoes again, I, I get a lot of people, and I'm sure you do too, asking, you know, how do you do what you do? Like, I want to do that. Um, a high schooler coming out, like, what do they need to know right now? Or anybody who wants to be a photographer, what do they need to know right now about possibly jumping into it, not going to college at all? Yeah. So like, you know, when I got into photography, things were very different than they are now, obviously. Um, you know, when I started shooting, it was film and I, you know, like, and I always had a passion for doing landscape and nature photography, even though I was doing uh, all these like odd jobs, like doing weddings and, and, and doing sports photography. Like my, my real passion was, was taking landscape and nature photos. So, you know, all that I could say for that is, and who knows the way that things are going to change in the next like five years or 10 years. It's constantly evolving. But um, what I would say is like, if you really want to do this, you know, for a living, then the passion has to be there first. Like, because breaking into the business is going to be really tough. It's going to be demoralizing at first because you're going to have tons of setbacks um, and you have to really love what you're doing and really have a passion for it because if you don't, it's really easy to get like, you know, um, persuaded to do other things in the beginning. I would say that, um, not focusing too much on what other people are doing or what is popular is incredibly important. You have to find your own voice and your own vision in this thing. And I think that that will show through in your work and uh, you have to have just like a rock solid work ethic. I mean, I can remember when I was starting out, I would put in, you know, 15 to 18 hour days every single day, um, just trying to get set up to sort of break into the business. Um, And I think, you know, one of the big things for me that happened like very early on in my um, career is I was able to 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 sort of network and um, become friendly with uh, some photographers that kind of had already uh, begun the process of breaking into the business. So, you know, my first year I ended up meeting um, Ian Plant, um, who I'm still very close friends with to this day. We actually still work together quite a bit. Um, and we sort of struck up a friendship. And at the time, Ian had just left his his job as a lawyer in DC and bought into a company called Mountain Trail Press, which is out of Johnson City, Tennessee. And it's run by um, Jerry Greer. Mm-hmm. Jerry still owns the company. It's a publishing company. And uh, so Ian had been friends with Jerry anyway. So he basically left uh, the um, the law firm behind and he jumped into working with Mountain Trail Press and me and Ian were good friends and they were working on this new book project and Ian said, hey, I want to bring you in on this project. Love your work. Think you're a good writer, blah, blah, blah. So I jumped in on that project. That project just happened to land me a lot of other stuff at that moment, like covers for Outdoor Photographer Magazine and Popular Photography. And that really helped to um, sort of launch my career in the beginning, but, you know, I spent a good, oh God, man, um, a year and a half just sort of working as hard as I could to get things set up. 
and start to build like my website and my portfolio. I'd been building the portfolio for years. I, you know, was shooting, but like kind of getting everything together and like getting the best work and taking all the bad stuff and just throwing it out and getting rid of it and only showing the good stuff. Um, and then I think, you know, at that time, so this is going back to like the late nineties, I'm sorry, this is in the early two thousands, um, maybe 2003, 2004, the, 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 the business side of photography was like really changing. You know what I mean? Like, so everything leading up to this was like sort of the old school where a lot of the, the old school guys were making most of their money off of, uh, you know, publication sales and stock photography and things were sort of transitioning with digital into doing more like workshops and, uh, you weren't getting as much money and the stock agencies were, were failing and a lot of those guys were struggling. And so like, you know, I made a, you know, I was trying to pay attention to things and say, okay, I'm not going to try to put too much energy at this point into trying to make, you know, a living off of publication sales. Although I will say I made a lot more money off of publication sales in the early 2000s than I do at this point, um, simply because you just got a bigger payday. You know, I can remember the first cover shot I got for outdoor photography. I was getting like paycheck that was like 2000 bucks. I think mm -hmm. you, probably, you might only get like five or 600 bucks nowadays for a cover mm -hmm. shot on the magazine. So everything was changing. So anyway, I decided, okay, education is going to be a good path forward. I, li I like working with people. I like talking about photography and I like teaching it. So I decided that I would kind of transition into that. And that would be sort of my foundation to get started. It has kind of always been my foundation since then. But the one thing that I did, you know, this goes back to that, just like having the passion and working really, really hard to make it happen is, um, you know, at the time I was living in, I, I live back in the mid-Atlantic now. I, I had moved away to California for several years, but when I started, I was in Maryland and I felt like, okay, what's, how can I build up a client base for like these workshops? And so I started doing some research and, you know, one avenue to that was talking to photography clubs. And so like, I remember the, I booked that first year, something like 65 or 75 speaking engagements. And I drove to every one of these speaking engagements and some of them were like as far north as um, as Rhode Island and some as far south as Florida. And I would I mean, I would drive like, you know, 12 hours to give a three hour talk to a photo club. Um, and what that allowed me to do was to get in front of people and show my photography, talk about photography, and then also collect their information to start building a mailing list. And then once I, you know, so I spent that first year just like working my butt off and driving all over the, you know, East Coast, basically um, doing these photo clubs in presentation presentations to start to build things. And then that really started to help because I started to put a mailing list together. I was getting in front of people. These were people that were obviously, you know, photo enthusiasts or whatever. They were in the photo club. So selling them workshops wasn't that difficult at this point. And and then things just started to build off of that. So I would say for someone jumping into the game, like put together a game plan, figure out what you want to do and then attack that and, and just be tireless about it and, and realize that, you know, there's going to be a lot of setbacks in the beginning and you're not going to see a lot of money up front at first. 
and you're just going to have to stick with it uh, to make the transition. Are workshops still viable after the pandemic? Yeah, I think so. Um, they're changing, obviously. Um, it's it's hard to say where they're going to go in the next you know, 12 to 24 months. I think it's going to depend on um, how the pandemic plays out. You know, if there's going to be a vaccine, if this thing is going to fade away. I think that this pandemic is altering things, you know, maybe if not for our lifetime, for a very long time to come. So I think that, you know, the workshops will change a little bit. They, you know, though, to be honest, they haven't changed remarkably for me. And that's simply because I never really did big group workshops to begin with. I mean, the max people that I ever did solo was about six people. So I've, I've cut it down to five people. And what we've done is, you know, instead of like, we've just put some, we've implemented some measures, like we're not carpooling right now. Um, we're, we're not doing indoor classroom time. So I've, what I'll do is we'll do a group workshop. We socially distance outside. We make people wear their masks. We don't do group meals. Everybody has to drive separately. Um, so it's a safe way of doing it in a small group. And then after the fact, we schedule Zoom sessions where we can get online with the workshop group and do critiques and photo processing tutorials and stuff like that. Um, so we'll see how things play out, you know, over the next, I guess, like 12 to 18 months with the pandemic. But I don't think workshops are going away, but I think that they're definitely changing a little bit right now. Hey guys, real quick, I just want to talk about today's sponsor for the podcast, and that's visualwilderness.com. Right now, you can go to visualwilderness.com and get any of the courses that I've made that will help you improve your landscape photography over time through post-processing and learning how to take basic images and level them up through Lightroom and Photoshop. You can get those for 33% off for a limited time right now if you use the code DAVID33 during checkout. Again, that's visualwilderness.com and use the code DAVID33 during checkout for 33% off for a limited time. That same deal is going on on my website for courses that I've made for my own website. You can go to davidjohnsonart.com, enter that same code david33 during checkout for 33% off for a limited time. Let's get back to the episode. How you mentioned film and starting out, we've talked extensively about your beginning in photography. How has your photography changed from then? Obviously shooting digital now, but sure. going from that point to now, how has your style and photography changed? Well, I guess my style in photography has went through different stages of evolution. I mean, I think that starting off um, shooting film photography was sort of, really important to the way that my style is now because you know when you're shooting film and first of all when I shot film uh when I was doing my landscape work I was shooting with a large format camera four by five camera so um you know you just were very very um uh, mindful about the images that you were creating because first of all it was expensive. Every time you click the shutter, you're looking at like five bucks, right? You know, you got the cost of the film and then you got to process, you got the film develop because shooting transparency film at the time. 
uh, four by five and it's expensive. So like, you know, I wasn't shooting a lot and I was very specific about getting like, you know, the best composition I could get and then waiting for the best kind of light, um, waiting for all these things to come together before you click the shutter. What year was this? Oh, so I started off doing large format stuff probably in 95. Okay. You know, and I shot four by five and I shot a variety of formats. Um, started off doing four by five stuff. Well, when I started off in high school, it was all 35 millimeter black and white stuff. And then as I transitioned into doing landscape stuff, I started reading stuff by like David Munch and Jack Dikinga and all these old school large format guys. And I was like, oh, wow, this is like the way to go with the tilts and the shifts and the image resolution and the quality. So I was um, eight years old, by the way, you were eight years old. <laughs> God, you're making me feel old, man. Um, but yeah. So like, I think that, that, that foundation of film, like definitely anchored me in now when digital came about, um, you know, a lot of things changed. Like, you know, like, so back then, like an ultra wide angle lens was like 20 millimeters, maybe 18 millimeters. And and then all of a sudden you had like these 11 to 24s and 14 to 24s. And so then this ultra wide angle style of photography became very popular towards the beginning of um, the sort of the digital revolution. Right. And, um, and I was sort of hooked on that. I was like, wow, it's pretty amazing to do that. So, you know, when I sort of transitioned from film into digital, I was like shooting everything wide angle, everything wide angle. And when I shot film, I did a lot much, I did much more like intimate work. You know, I, I would do much more like patterns and details. And I did some wide angle stuff, obviously, but, you know, I did a lot more intimate stuff as well. Um, and then, so I've sort of transitioned back into that and I've sort of developed my style to do a lot of intimates. And when, you know, when the conditions are right and the light is right, I'll do the wide angle landscapes to get those broad sweeping vistas. Um but then the workflow has just kind of changed now, you know, in a way, because you can problem solve with digital photography so much more than you could with film photography. You know, like if your exposures are wild, wildly out of sync, you can bracket and put them together or you can, you know, shoot multiple compositions to blend together into a single shot for panoramics or just a sort of a unique perspective. Um you can bracket your shutter speeds to capture motion and to free uh, or to, to get long exposure stuff and then blend that stuff together. So like, you know, things have changed a little bit, but I think for me foundationally, not a lot has changed in the fact that like, I still believe in sort of kind of trying to capture what's in front of me, you know, and like being very um, mindful about that and chasing down the best compositions and the best light. And not settling for something that's, you know, average and then thinking that I'm going to dupe in a sky later or do a whole bunch of like insane uh, manipulation to the image to kind of get it to there, to that point. I prefer not to do that. Um, I don't judge others to do that. Um, It just hasn't been like, it's not the thing for me. You know what I mean? I really take pride in putting a lot of time in and, and maybe not getting as many photos, but getting really good ones when the conditions come together. So that's sort of been like my evolution through the two. Do you still dip into that mindset of how film was so expensive and you said $5 a shot? I mean, that has to encourage and put slow photography at the foundation of of what you do in the field. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I think that slowing down is, well, it's not for everyone, but it's the key for me. Like I, I don't like to rush around when I'm out shooting. I prefer to take my time um, and, and make more mindful compositions. And I, and I think that that foundation did come for me from shooting film for so long. I, I don't know what kind of a photographer I would be if I'd started in digital. I might've been a very different kind of a photographer altogether. You said on your website, on your About Me page, you spend on average 180 days on the road. Going into where we are now with, you talked about webinars and online work and teaching in that sense. Is that necessary for photographers who are coming in right now? I don't think so. No. I mean, in fact, I... I don't, I don't want to spend that much time on the road anymore. Um, to be honest with you. Um, I, I think that, I think that it was for me in the beginning because I just had so many expenses. I, was, I had two small kids, had a mortgage and I felt like I just gotta, you know, I gotta make as much money as I can to pay all the bills. Um, but I think that you don't have to spend that much amount of time on the road. I don't personally want to spend, I, I feel like, you know, I get burnt out and that really hampers my creativity when I'm, when I'm tired. So, you know, doing 180 or 200 days on the road nowadays towards the end of the year, like I'm, I'm not as, I'm not as functional. I'm not as creative as I used to be. So, you know, the old adage, like work, work smarter, not harder sort of thing. Um, I think that can come into play with travel as well. And you know, good photography happens anywhere and everywhere. So you don't have to feel like you have to be constantly globetrotting to like all these, you know, epic destinations in order to get great photos. I mean, like just, I think for a photographer that's just starting out, like it's probably more beneficial to them to really focus on their local environs and, 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 and develop a body of work and develop a style than it is to sort of like have to go to like, oh, I'm hopping from Yosemite to Acadia to Mongolia to wherever, you know, back and forth and just hitting like iconic photo locations. Like, sure, yeah, you're going to get a lot of bang for your buck right off the bat up front. But I don't think that the longevity of that will play out. And I think that if you're developing a body of work that is solid and has your name on it, your style on it, you can do that anywhere. So I think it's a good idea to start local and then sort of go from there. Um, I'd, I'd prefer to do maybe 100 days, 80 days in the field. And a bunch of those days might be, you know, I'm in Virginia now. So like a bunch of those days might be in Shenandoah National Park, which is only about an hour and a half drive for me from my house. So I can go down there for an afternoon. I can go down there for two or three days if I want and really just hike around, explore the park, um, take my time, come up with the compositions that I haven't shot before. Um, so no, I don't think it's, I don't think it's necessary to spend that much time in the field. And then especially now that with the pandemic that's happening, I think that that's forcing a lot of photographers that were kind of on that sort of train where they were just constantly traveling to sort of rethink things a little bit. Yeah, I think, and if I can throw my two cents in on that totally. too, Joe, it's like once the pandemic hit and, and I kind of thought, well, 
I can't really go on some of the trips that I had planned this year. I've really focused on areas that were three hour drive from my home. Uh, And I would go out, wait for the right conditions for on the weather forecast, go out and hit them all or or hit one at a time in, in just a day, head back home, you know, it's always nice to sleep in my own bed instead of a tent <laughs> on the ground. Totally. Um, yeah. And it, I found that doing it that way, I made way more strides in, like you said, my style and my creativity in the areas that I was going to shoot in rather than going to iconic spots. And while those do bring the attention Sure. And they, those shots do get you the likes on social media and, right. and bring eyes to your work. It, it's the process of developing your own style, like you said, in your local areas that, that really helps you make the stride so that when you do go to iconic locations like Yosemite, like you threw out, right. you're not just going to the same footsteps that everybody else has sat in. man. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, like just hearkening back once again to my, my, my younger days in photography when I was in my, my twenties, my early twenties. And I was really just kind of like learning the ropes and figuring out like how to do this thing and take photos, take good photos. I didn't have the money back then to, to travel, you know what I mean? So like I did most all of my work in those days in the mid Atlantic, like about a three or four hour radius around where I live. Um, And that was important because first of all, it was on the East coast. Right. And so you're an East coaster. So I think you're going to get this like shooting on the East coast is very different than shooting out West. Right. hundred percent. One hundred percent. We just don't have that sort of like grand scenery that you get like in places like Yosemite or Death Valley or pretty much anywhere out West. Everything here is a little bit more tucked away. It's a little bit more intimate. It's a little less dramatic. So like right off the bat, just kind of like, you know, cutting my teeth on the East coast with photography sort of developed my style to be a little bit more, maybe intimate, a little bit more thoughtful than being like, okay, I live in California. I can drive to Tunnel View and get a banging shot of, you know, Yosemite. I know exactly it's easy, right? I put my tripod right here, wait for some good light. It's going to happen. Um, you know, you have to do a lot more hunting on the East Coast to get like good shots. Like you see a cool stream, you got to like, you know, walk up that stream, get in the water. Or if you're working in the woodlands on the East Coast, they're very chaotic. So finding like, you know, meaningful, thoughtful compositions of the woods back here is, which has been like, a, you know, something recently that I've been very much um, kind of working on developing another body of work just on trees. Um, working on the East coast, it to me is a lot harder. And I've shot in pretty much every environment you can think of in the United States. And I lived out West for, and I've been shooting out West for a long time. I mean, for me shooting in Aspen Grove in Colorado and I'm not, you know, not to disparage awesome Aspen shots because they're still hard to do, but like, it's a lot easier than it is shooting in, a, you know, a mixed hardwood forest on the East Coast, just simply because of the different tree species. Uh, there's more deadfall. It's just much more of a chaotic environment. So coming up with those really clean, beautiful compositions out here is harder. And I think it is important to like, just, you know, just find your local area, find, you know, and just really work that, work that stuff, you know, month after month, 
year after year, develop that style. And like you said, when you start to develop your style, you can transport that anywhere. So you're going to find like when you then take a trip out to, you know, Colorado or Death Valley, you're putting your sort of your own stamp on those images. You're not as worried about like, oh man, what are the iconic views out here? I got to find those. That's the shot. You know, you can even visit an iconic location and be like, all right, I got this. I'm going to do my own thing here and come up with something a little bit different than what maybe has been done a thousand times before, you know? And I think that that is important for developing that, that personal style. I would say that too. Like I always say to, to people who ask me about West coast, West coast versus East coast is like those West coast shots while they are beautiful. And, and I love my time out there. They're more of that, like, Whoa, right off the bat, you know, mm-hmm. knock your socks off types of shots, but it's those, East coast, like old growth forests that you hike eight hours into and and spend all afternoon in and, you know, work with the moss and the trees. And like you said, hike up the streams. Those are the ones while they don't blow your lid right off the top, they, they do kind of make you sit and be like, Hmm, like how did, how did they find that spot? How did they get that composition? Absolutely. And I I think those images don't blow anyone's lid right off the top until you've spent time photographing in environments like that. And then I think once you do that, you have have a better appreciation just for like, you know, how much work goes into making a good shot in those sort of locations. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's easy. It's not easy. I mean, coming up with a good photograph is always hard, right? It always takes skill and composition and and, and use of light. And even nowadays, like, you know, good processing techniques, but you know, it's a lot easier to walk up to Zambrisky point and come away with some smashing images than it is to walk up to a random overlook in the smoky mountains and and do the same thing, man. It's just not the same deal. You know, it's completely different. Does it enhance your respect for places? Absolutely. Yeah. In what way? Well, I just think that it doesn't, it does enhance my respect for places simply because I think I have, I think that what it does for me is that it it makes me realize that there's a lot more under the surface, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, Than there is right on the top. So like, for instance, like Death Valley, right? Death Valley is an amazing park. We'll just use this as an example. I just brought up Zimbrisky Point. Yeah. You could walk up to the, um, the overlook at Zimbrisky Point, and it's it's pretty stunning. It's otherworldly in a way, especially if you've never seen a landscape like that before. I, I know for me, being an East Coaster, growing up on the East Coast, the first time I went out West, I was like completely blown away by the geology, just because you don't see that sort of thing back here. Um, and I'd only seen it in books and movies and whatnot. Um, but I think like, for example, in Death Valley, you can get up to the, the overlook at Zimbrisky and you're going to get some bad, some, some awesome images. But if you explore a little further and you maybe hike up a different ridge, you're going to get different views. So like, it just is, is, you know, it's just given me an appreciation that there's so much out there and there's so much exploring to do that. Like I have a lot of fun nowadays when I even go to some of these iconic Western parks and I think, okay you know, there's going to be all these hidden goodies out here, right? Because 90% of the people are going to go to this overlook and shoot from here because that's, it's easy to do that. But if I do some hiking or just do some exploring or do some, uh, you know, drive a 
a rugged four by four road. I might find a location that's just as stunning, just as special, maybe a little bit more intimate even. And, and I can make some of my own great images. So yeah, I think it does give me an appreciation of all places. I think all places are, are beautiful in their own way. Um, and I think the more that you appreciate that and explore them, um, the, you know, the more in love you fall with those locations. And I think the better your work gets at those spots. You say on your website, my quest as a landscape and nature photographer is to showcase wild, beautiful, and unique natural locations. How sparse are unique locations becoming now with the accessibility to cameras? Incredibly sparse. Incredibly sparse. Um, I would say. I mean, there are definitely still places out there that are less explored, but I mean, I can tell you, you know, just, I've been doing this for a long time. So for instance, you know, one of my, one of my personal hotspots, my favorite places to shoot is, has always been the Allegheny mountains of West Virginia. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful down there. Stunning. Um, you know, you get up on top of Dolly Sodge, you get some beautiful, big, um, Appalachian style vistas, unique um, geology, unique fauna, uh, unique flora up there. And you have the uh, Eastern hardwood forest, which is gorgeous, especially in the spring and in the fall. And, you know, the first time I visited um, the Alleghenies was probably, oh gosh, um, 98 maybe. Okay. So it's going back a few years. And I, and then as soon as I, I, I found that spot for myself, I was like, wow, this is like a gold mine down here. It's stunning. It's, it's sparsely populated. There's there's way more woods than there are people or towns. Um, it's got beautiful waterfalls. It's got all this good stuff, right? So been shooting down there for over 20 years. I can tell you that in the last five to eight years, that place has gone from being essentially a ghost town to you know, like Dolly Sods, for example, this fall, I was down there shooting and going up to Bear Rocks area at sunrise in the past, even going back like five or six years, you may have seen on like a, you know, a, a weekday morning, maybe three or four cars up there for people hiking out into the wilderness. It was so busy this year, this fall that I had to park about a mile back off the road just to walk to the trailhead on a weekday morning. So there were literally, it went from being a couple cars to probably over a hundred to 150 cars parked up there. Now I know that this year is sort of a special year with the pandemic. Everyone's been sort of, you know, doing more outdoor um, activities, even people that aren't photographers, but like that place is steadily, gotten crazier and crazier um ever since like you know really uh the social media revolution with like you know facebook and instagram and all these photo sharing websites um became popular and then things just sort of build off of that um so yeah it is getting harder and harder to find those sort of like unique like untouched wilderness areas they're still out there it's just you got to put a lot more effort into going further and further into the backcountry to get to those spots these days. Is it discouraging for you? It's depressing sometimes. Mm. It is a little discouraging. I mean, I understand like it's not for me. 
it's for everyone. I wish that things were a little more chill. I, it worries me the number of people that, that visit these locations all at once. I mean, like it can't be good for things. I've seen places that were like pristine, you know, get trampled because like instead of dozens of people coming over a month, there's hundreds or thousands coming. So it is a little worrisome. I don't know how you stem that tide at this point. I've tried to, to bring things back a little bit and be a little bit more mindful and careful about, you know, uh, the way that I label photographs, especially the way that I label photographs or talk about locations um, on social media without putting down like, you know, uh, specific names of places, just being kind of vague about it mm -hmm. um, to sort of, but I don't know, but for every shot that I put up, there's probably 10,000 more shots that somebody else is putting up that they're doing the same thing. So I'm not sure how, I mean, we can all take personal responsibility and try to be smart about it, which is another reason why I do like small group workshops. I don't, you know, I don't want to bring 10 or 12 people down to a specific spot because it's going to get trampled. Having four or five people is much more manageable. It's much softer on the landscape and you can manage people and educate them. Hey, don't step on that. It's, you know, it's very sensitive, stay on the rocks, whatever. Um, try to impart that sort of like, you know, uh, care for our, 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 our special locations that we visit. But it is a little discouraging when you show up to a spot, especially a spot that like you've been going to for 20 years. And, you know, like maybe I'm being a little selfish, but like it was pretty special to like be up on bare rocks on a, an autumn morning in October and be like the only person up there, you know? And now it's like, oh my God, there's like a hundred people up here. <laughs> So it's tough. Yeah. It, it can be discouraging. It, it pushes me a little further away from those spots. It makes me want to find new locations or just, you know, just kind of just walk back into the woods on, <laughs> and look for some stuff that hasn't been done before. So um, no, that, that hits home, man. Like even what you're describing at that overlook, like just my past trip to Klingman's Dome in the mm -hmm. Smokies, while it's always been a popular spot to go watch sunrise, you know, yep. I had never seen it with this many hundreds of people, uh, drones being flown just like absolutely out of hand. Just chaos. <laughs> yeah. Absolute chaos. It yeah. was insane. Yeah. We experienced a bunch of that up in, um, Acadia national park this fall. Now me and Kurt ran a workshop up there. Uh, we'd been we've been doing workshops in Acadia for um, uh, ten years now, I guess. Um, some of the spots, man. I mean, there were literally just you know three, four hundred people trying to get in. It was like, oh my god, this is uh, this is unsustainable, you know. I do want to point out something. I I did catch this. I know you mentioned Ian Plant uh, a little while ago. I know you do some work with Shutter Monkeys and and what he's doing with that. Yeah. And, in a recent video you guys did to Badlands National Park, yep. um, you referred to Ian as the Bobby Flay of landscape photography. <laughs> yeah, there's a long story behind that. I, I need, I like have to hear that. So I don't know if you've met Ian before, but I mean, Ian is a, sort of like your quintessential showman. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. So he had this grand idea. So we had, we had decided, yep, we're going to, we're going to get together out in Badlands to do some photography. Let's do a video um, for his Shutter Monkeys channel. And um, so I was like, yeah, that's great. Let's do that. Um, I'll meet you out there. So we went out and Ian um, has been watching, I guess, a lot of TV during the pandemic. 
And apparently he likes the food network. So he was like, we should do this. Like, you know, um, what's that show? The um, iron chef or whatever, where they like, yeah. Kinda... So Ian already tagged himself as the Bobby flay of photography. And he's like, what I want you to do is say the Bobby flay. And so we, sh- we filmed that whole, whole little bit. And then I was like, dude, I was like, this is kind of silly. Um, let's just, let's just do the video. Like we're just out here. We can, we can have a competitive, like sort of thing going around it, but let's, let's just do it without the sort of like iron chef thing. And he was like, yeah, okay, that's cool. I get it. You're not comfortable with that. And then he ended up putting it in the video anyway. So that was sort of like Ian's idea to, 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 to crown him the Bobby Flay of, uh, of landscape photography. But I mean, you know, I'll give him some credit. He's an incredible photographer. He's an incredible educator. Um, but he definitely has a flair for the dramatic, my friend. Let me tell you. <laughs> so he crowned himself Iron Chef of the landscape photography. Ian has crowned himself the blah, blah, blah of landscape photography many times in the 20 years that I've known him. So uh, I got to, you know, I got to, I got to, I got to knock him off a shelf every once in a while and keep his ego in check, you know? So um, that's, uh, that was my attempt during the uh, the filming process in Badlands, but he had all the, uh, he did all the editing for it. So like, you know, and he had the final call in the end. <laughs> if he's Iron Chef, what are you? Oh, I'm just like, I'm like the, uh, the sous chef of landscape photography, okay. you know? All right. Yeah. I gotcha. Yeah. I like to, I like to remain a little bit more humble than that. <laughs> gotcha. You're yeah. even like maybe one of the people who come and clean up the kitchen once yeah, they exactly. finish I'm like, recording. <laughs> exactly. I'm the guy that cleans up the slop off the floor at the end of the session. Well, where can people go to find more out about you? Um, go to my website, um, josephrossback.com. Um, you can find out pretty much anything you want to find out about me there. I mean, see my body of work and check out, uh, my offerings. Um, do, like I said, doing a lot of webinars and online education stuff, but also, uh, got some workshops coming up for, uh, next year, although not doing as many and, um, much smaller numbers for each workshop. So we're, you know, we've already sold out a bunch of them, but there's still some stuff available. And, um, and I'm also working on redesigning the website right now. So I'll have a new website launch come probably the first of the year. So I've been working with uh, Jack Bauer over at wide range galleries. It's something I've been meaning to do for a while, but I figured, Hey, it's pandemic time. It's the perfect time to jump in and, 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 and reinvent the workshop wheel or reinvent the website wheel, you know? Well, he's Joseph Rossback. Joseph, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. Thanks, David. I I really had a great conversation and thanks for having me. I appreciate it, man.